This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Now, I was thinking about learning the piano this year. I'm forming a group, I just got to call it Blanket. It's a cover band. Actually, Pastor Michelle, um, I'm thinking about doing something amazing for the talent show, okay? I want to do something really special. So, can you tell me how much is it to buy a singing ensemble? You mean a choir? Okay, how much is it to acquire a singing ensemble? Oh. <laughs> Just let that one brew for a minute. Uh, we, we can decide later who's Eric and who's Ernie. Well, well, well done, well done. Mind you, I've been hounded all week on the phone by a salesperson. He keeps trying to get me to buy a coffin. I said, that's the last thing I need. So, so, so as Lydia said, there will be ministry available for people affected by... Well, <laughs> so welcome to episode 140 in our series, The Promise and the Purpose, our slow walk through Luke's Gospel. So the story so far, it is Thursday evening before Easter, Monday, Thursday, some call it. The disciples and Jesus have just left that upper room where they'd shared the Last Supper. And our story continues. So Luke 22, starting from verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, and he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came back to his disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So today I want to talk about our feelings. And look at this scripture passage and how we handle being under pressure. As David Bowie sang, under pressure. And we look at it from three different angles. About what happens when you feel under pressure. What happens when you feel exhausted. And what, it, what you do when it feels like God is doing nothing about your situation. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you will speak through me and speak clearly to your people. Raise our sense of expectation so that we will listen with open minds and humble hearts to your Holy Spirit's teaching this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. 
Amen. Now, can you think of a time when you have really felt like you were under pressure? Perhaps it was at school or university, when there was a big project you had to complete or there was an exam you had to take. It might have been a time when you were at work, when you felt that there was more work to be done than just fits into the hours of the day. Maybe you felt like you didn't have the right skills or the right training to do this job that had been given to you, and yet there was this massive expectation upon you to get it right and get it done anyway. Depending on your chosen career, perhaps lives were literally on the line based on how well you did your job. If you served in the armed forces as a first responder in the medical profession, I'm sure you know what that pressure feels like. But also builders, architects, engineers, people who can make a mistake that could literally cost someone their life. So how do we react when we feel under that pressure? The pressure can come from a fear of what might happen. We feel pressure because of what we fear, what we imagine could happen. Or it might come from a sure knowledge of what is definitely going to happen. And you just don't want to go through that thing that you know is about to happen. You know, it's basic human nature that we, that we seek pleasure and we try to avoid pain. All the advertising professionals know this. So they design their adverts to pull us in one direction or the other. Drink our coffee and it will give you pleasure and your pretty neighbour will come round asking for some sugar. Do you remember those <laughs> Nescafe Gold Blend adverts? Yeah? How about avoiding the, the pain of leaving your family unprepared? Buy our life insurance. Avoid the pain of being unhealthy. Buy our vitamins. Avoid the pain of being in a car crash. Buy a Volvo. They're boxy, but safe. Or literally, avoid the pain of a headache. Buy our paracetamol. So when we feel under pressure, how do we react? Well, one thing we might do is try to avoid the situation. Now, pull a sickie. Don't go into work and avoid that difficult meeting. Skip the day of school so we miss that test that we don't want to do. Maybe we might just try and give up altogether. Permanently avoid that situation. I'm just going to quit that job. I'm going to decide I don't like the course anyway. Then I don't have to do the exam. Or I'm just going to exit this relationship because it's easier to throw it away than it is to put the work in to try and rescue it. Or maybe we will compromise if the pressure is on us to do something we don't want to do and we believe we should not do it, we might compromise and give in to the pressure anyway. We might decide to date that person who's not a Christian. We might decide to sleep with that person before we're married to them. We might fudge the numbers on our timesheet so we increase the bill to the customer or just miss out those unfavourable results in the report to our boss. We'll start smoking because that's what everyone else does. We'll drink too much because it numbs the anxiety. We'll eat too much because it makes us feel better and forget our worry for a few minutes while that sugar rush is coursing through our system. 
These are how we generally are tempted to react when we feel under pressure to avoid, to give up, or to compromise. And even when we know the right thing to do, we're tempted to try and take the easier path. As the saying goes, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And you know where that comes from, right? It comes from, well, let's read it in Matthew's version of this same scene from the Bible, this same half hour of Jesus' life. Matthew 26 reports it like this. Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Just, just remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came back to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, you could not even watch with me for one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, I know the right thing to do, but I really don't want to do it. I think in this passage here, more than any other, I think we see the humanity of Jesus laid bare. And at the start of his ministry, he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And here in the garden called Gethsemane, he is tempted again. Gethsemane comes from the Hebrew word that means oil press. Literally, it's the place where pressure is applied. That's what Jesus is in this garden. He knows the events that are swirling around him are coming to a head. He knows that the religious authorities are planning to arrest him, they're planning to kill him, and he knows the horrors that await him in the days to come. So he's tempted. I think he was probably tempted to give up. It's nighttime. He's out in the hills outside Jerusalem. He's on the Mount of Olives, which means he could just walk up and over that hill down the valley on the other side and keep going until he reaches Jericho and just disappear into the crowds. He's tempted to avoid the cross. I mean, he says, Father, remove this cup from me. Now, it says in the book of Hebrews, talking about Jesus, he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet, he was without sin. He was tempted in every respect as we are. The Bible doesn't lie. If you struggle with it, Jesus faced that same temptation and he conquered it. And that's the difference between us and Jesus, right? He didn't give in. He didn't compromise and he didn't try and avoid what was laid before him. What he actually prayed is, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours, he prayed. He said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was under 
pressure, maybe more pressure than any human being since then and before then in history has been under. But you know what? It's not what he did. It's not what he said. It's not where he went. It's not who he was with that made the difference that enabled him to endure through that pressure and come out the other side. It was what he prayed that made all the difference. Did you notice the first and last words of Jesus in this scene? The first words he said were to his disciples, and he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. The very last words that Jesus says in this scene are, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Maybe there's a key here. When Jesus repeats himself, it's worth paying attention. Today's prayer is the key to dealing with tomorrow's pressure. Today's prayer is the key to dealing with tomorrow's pressure. As the saying goes, when a crisis arrives, it's too late to try and prepare. Today's prayer is the key to dealing with tomorrow's pressure. Now, we have no idea how much pressure we never have to endure because of the prayers we pray today and events take a different direction and God spares us from that situation. It never arises. But there are situations we do have to go through. You know, you will never get your degree if you don't sit that exam. You've got to go through that pressure. The rocket's never going to fly until the first test flight. The girl is never going to marry you unless you ask her. The bully is never going to stop until they're confronted. Injustice will never stop until someone speaks out. Have you been watching Mr. Bates versus the post office? As as an IT nerd, that really got my goat. But imagine how different the story would be if just one of those senior managers in the post office headquarters or one of the hundreds of people who were working in the IT department who knew this was going on had stood up and said, hey, 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 this is wrong, that we're lying and sending people to jail. Now, sometimes we end up going through the fire because God in his perfect wisdom says, you are my man, you are my woman for such a time as this, and I have prepared you for what's about to come. And just like those three Hebrew boys that were thrown into the furnace, there is a fourth man in the flames. Jesus is your fourth man in the flames. And in that situation of pressure of Jesus, he is right there with you, as Sue was saying. He knows exactly what it feels like that you are going through, and he knows you can overcome, because he already did. So he can teach you and tell you how to do it. He would not have chosen you otherwise. Now the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians... He's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, listen, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. I don't know why Paul sometimes drops into the royal we, but maybe he's talking about his team. We'll, We'll give him some grace. But he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. Says the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. Indeed, we felt like we had received a death sentence, he says. But that 
was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. How do you know that God is going to see you through a difficult situation? It's because he did it previously, which means he kind of has to take you through a difficult situation to give you the confidence to face the next difficult situation. Because you can look back and say, God did it before, he doesn't change, he's going to do it again. When the pressure is on, set your hope on the one who can deliver and give you the strength to endure the pressure. And this strength comes when you pray. So there's one thing you take away from today's message. Pray more. Now one of the things I notice as a pastor is how much people sin every Sunday. Yes, I know, I can see you. We get taught this at pastoring school. You come into church and you lie to each other. You walk brazenly into church on a Sunday and someone says, how are you? And you say, I'm fine. Pants on fire. Well, actually, I used to think that you were all lying when you said, I'm fine. Until I learned what fine really means and actually you're all being unusually transparent and honest with you. Because fine means I'm freaking out, I'm insecure, I'm neurotic and I'm exhausted. Amen. So if you're feeling fine... If you're freaking out, you're insecure, you're neurotic and exhausted, maybe you're feeling fine after all. Let's just look at the last one for a second. How do you deal with pressure when you're exhausted? You just think, I haven't got the strength to do this again. Now, I hate being tired. It brings out the worst in me. I'm a pretty easygoing chap most of the time, you might have noticed. But if I'm tired, watch out, Mr. Grumpy is on the loose. Yeah. <laughs> Which can be a real problem if you're married to a night owl. See, I'm a morning person. I'm a jump out of bed, ready for the day. Whereas Lydia is a lady who enjoys the luxury of a lion. For me, a lion is just a good morning wasted. However, at the other end of the day, I just want to go to bed. I want to go to sleep. Lydia just wants to talk. She comes to life in the evening, and I'm like, oh, let me sleep. So I have a lot of sympathy for the disciples. I, too, have fallen asleep in prayer meeting. Resting in the Lord's presence, we call it. Being very, very still. And knowing that he is God. But seriously... Jesus is praying for his life and his best friends were fast asleep. Verse 45. Jesus arose from his prayers. He came back to his disciples and he found them sleeping. At Matthew's version, the same scene, so Jesus came back several times and kept waking them up and asked them to pray and watch over him and they fall asleep as soon as Jesus walks away. They're asleep on the job. They couldn't cope with the pressure while they were so exhausted. So how do you cope with pressure when you feel too tired to go on? You ask for help. That's what Jesus did. Verse 43, And there appeared to him an angel who strengthened him. 
Now, Luke simply records that an angel appeared to strengthen Jesus, but the, the Aramaic scriptures reveal a different emphasis. You find this in, in the, the Passion Bible, which relies more on the ancient um, Aramaic copies of scripture rather than the, the Greek texts. And in, if you read it in the Passion Translation, it says, Jesus called for an angel of glory to strengthen him, and the angel appeared. The angel appeared because Jesus asked for help. You know, God does not have a finite and limited amount of love and strength to go around. You don't need to ration him. Do you ever catch yourself thinking, yeah, I won't pray about that. I won't ask God for that help because I don't want to bother him. Or you're kind of thinking at some level, yeah, but I might need to ask for his help next week. So I'm not going to, you know, use up my quota now. I might need it later. You know, we don't all have a finite God allowance. The more we ask for God's help, the more we experience God's love, the more there is to go around. Father God is eager to help. His heart is always towards his children. He wants to bless them. And it's the angel's job to help you. Do you know that? It's in their job description. Writing about angels in the book of Hebrews, it says... Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Who are those to inherit salvation? They are the Christians. Hands up if you're a Christian. Guess what? The angel's job is to minister for your sake. So if you're feeling exhausted, if you're feeling under pressure, ask for help in prayer and God will answer. Whether you see it or not, he will answer. Then ask for help from your humans. That's why we are here in this family doing life together. Galatians says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, it's part of being a Christian to do life together and help each other out. So asking for help is the first thing you can do. The second thing you do is open your eyes and look around, not just to avoid falling asleep, but to look and see what God has already put into your situation to help you. In the first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always, or sorry, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's always an escape route. There's always an escape route. So don't believe the lie that you are too tired to resist a temptation. God has provided a choice for us so that we can avoid it. Kind of reminds me of a lesson I learned at Bible camp as a teenager. It was this, halt before you do something that you'll regret. Halt. It means whenever you are hurting, angry, lonely or tired. H-A-L-T. When you're hurting, angry, lonely or tired, you are much more likely to make a bad choice. So don't make any choices. Go to bed and hide until you feel better. <laughs> then make your choice when you wake up. You halt. If someone has upset you and you are angry, halt before you send that email. Halt before you speak those words that you can't take back. When that cute non-Christian is flirting with you, halt if you're feeling lonely, this person is being nice to you. You know what? God has got the right person for you, so halt before you get into a relationship you're going to regret later. 
when you are hurt, when you are angry, when you are lonely, or you're tired, don't go making big decisions. Yeah, good advice. Kingdom principles to live by. When the week feels long and you realise it's only Monday lunchtime. You know, pray today for the strength and wisdom to deal with tomorrow's pressure. When we pray, we never see the pressure cookers that God diverts from our path. When we pray and we ask for help, we may never see the angels that God sends, but they are on our side. And our family in the church and the close family that we live with, they are here to help. They're more ready to help than you imagine. So don't suffer in silence. Ask for help. But what about those times when you're actually you're doing all of those things, you're putting those into practice, and the pressure is still on, and you think, just why is God not listening? It feels like you're praying and your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. How can we handle the pressure when it feels like God is not stepping in in the way that we want him to? When it feels like God is doing nothing? Because sometimes you just feel like this tsunami hits you, this giant wave of bad news and rubbish. Now, the Bible describes it, it says, the enemy comes in like a flood. Have you ever felt like that? You know, forget the fourth man in the flames. I'm drowning under the water. And where is... God. You know, God is, God is not the health and safety guy. He doesn't show up in a high visibility vest to prove to you that he's on your case. I mean, just look at the book of Esther in the Bible. There's no specific mention of God in that entire book of the Bible, but clearly God is at work. He's just not precious about making sure he gets the credit. You know, God is not a humble bragger. We don't have to see how something is true for it to be true. And just because we don't understand how something works, it doesn't mean it's not working. It doesn't mean it's not true that it's happening. We might not be able to see how the situation we are facing could possibly result in a good outcome for you or your family, but that doesn't mean it's not true. God says, for I know the plans I have for you in Jeremiah. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Trouble is, you can't see the end of the book from the page that you're currently on. And sometimes we judge the whole story by the page in our life that we're currently on, but we don't know what's coming in the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter. But God does, which is why we know he's not lying when he says in Romans 8, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for their good when we're called according to his purpose. You can't see the electricity flowing through the cables, but it's there and you can see the effects that it has. You can't see the wind blowing where it comes from or where it's going to, but you can see the effect that it has. We can't always see God's hand in action directly, but if we stop and watch, we can see the effects that he's had when we're still. Psalm 46, when we're still and we know that he's God. You know, when it feels like we're drowning and it feels like that enemy is coming in like a flood. Well, if you read the whole verse, it says, Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will lift up a standard against him. The Spirit of the Lord will raise up against your enemy. 
And if you read the whole of chapter 19, uh, sorry, 59, and the following chapter 60 in Isaiah, it's clear that this is actually part of a prophecy that's talking about a redeemer who's going to come. A redeemer who puts on a breastplate of righteousness. A redeemer who puts on a helmet of salvation. Does this start to sound familiar? His light will call out to the Gentiles as well as the children of Israel. It's all about Jesus. It's a hint. It's always all about Jesus. The whole Bible is a unified story that leads and points to Jesus. And when the pressure is on, know that Jesus is on your side, as Sue was saying. Whether you can see him at work or not, he is making ways for you. Because you're walking a path that he has walked already. Jesus chose not to avoid the cross. He chose not to compromise. He chose not to give up on the plan that Father God had for your salvation. So when it feels like the pressure is on, Choose not to avoid the difficult thing that you know that you should do. Choose not to give up. Choose not to compromise. Because when you pray for the strength, God will answer. Ask for help. Don't suffer in silence. And, to, and when you do choose to avoid temptation, yeah, when you halt, when you recognise you're hurt, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired... Look for those escape routes that God has promised will always be there to avoid making the situation worse. And take a moment to be still. Every day. Be still and remember that God is good. He's on your side. Now the Bible says, seek and you will find. Whatever you look for in your day, you will see. If you want to look for things going wrong, You'll spot all the things that go wrong in your day. And if you look for God's blessing, you'll see it. It was already there, but you were just not noticing it. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In this coming week, Lord, May we experience the truth of this in a new and powerful way in our lives. May we be anxious about nothing. May we pray about everything and be thankful daily, resting in your peace that guards our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray.